0: and welcome back. So we are in our understanding medical surgical nursing books, the sixth edition, and we're going to start in chapter nine, nursing care of patients in shock. So shock is defined as an inadequate tissue perfusion. This means there's not enough oxygen being delivered to meet the metabolic needs of the tissues. An oxygen deficit leads to tissue hypoxia and hypoperfusion of vital organs and cell death. It is important to identify patients at risk for shock and to monitor them for early signs and symptoms of shock. So timely treatment of shock reduces injury um, to organs. Prolonged shock leads to cell death and potential organ failure. So the pathophysiology behind this um, is tissue perfusion and blood pressure are maintained by three mechanisms. The first is adequate blood volume. So we want to think of how full our arteries and veins are. The second is an effective cardiac pump. So um, if it's not pumping hard enough, we're not going to get blood to where we need it to be. And then the third is effective blood vessels. So the body is able to compensate for a problem in one mechanism. It does so by making changes in one or both of the other mechanisms. Um, shock occurs when the compensatory mechanisms fail to maintain the blood pressure, leading to poor tissue perfusion. Um, causes of shock include an cardiac output caused by um, heart failure. Hemorrhage or a sudden decrease in peripheral vascular resistance due to anaphylaxis, which is a life-threatening allergic reaction. Sepsis, which is a life-threatening condition caused by the body's response to an infection resulting in organ dysfunction or neurological alterations. So that was kind of a mouthful for the very beginning, but we're going to kind of break this down a little bit um, as we go on. So metabolic and hemodynamic shock uh, changes in shock. When blood pressure falls, the sympathetic nervous system is activated. Compensatory mechanisms then begin. So epinephrine or norepinephrine are released from the adrenal medulla. This is a part of your brain. This causes the heart to beat faster and stronger to increase cardiac output. Blood flow to the heart, brain, and liver is preserved by shunting blood from the intestines, kidneys, and the skin. Um, Epinephrine, cortisol, and glucagon raise blood glucose levels to increase cell fuel. The renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system is stimulated by decreased cardiac output. This results in... Uh, vasoconstriction and retention of sodium and water to maintain fluid balance. So our body is trying to compensate or make up for something, and it's trying to hold on to what it can and send what it needs the most out in that moment. Um, so respiratory rate increases to deliver more oxygen to the tissue. So we're going to be breathing faster because we're trying to hurry up and get the oxygen uh, out. Together, these compensatory responses produce The classic signs and symptoms of the first stage of shock, which is tachycardia, tachypnea, and oliguria. So, um, tachycardia means we're going to have a fast, rapid heart rate. Tachypnea, we're going to have a rapid breathing. And oliguria, which is producing small amounts of urine, um, restlessness, anxiety, pallor, and cool, clammy skin. If blood pressure and oxygen delivery remain inadequate, signs and symptoms of, of progressive and then irreversible shock are seen. And this is broken down in Table 9.1 on page 109. Um, So there's a learning tip I wanna go over. Tachycardia is a compensatory mechanism that's usually the first sign of shock. So sustained tachycardia is a signal that uh, the patient's condition is changing. Older patients cannot tolerate tachycardia for very long. Report tachycardia to the registered nurse or healthcare provider. Consider the cause of the tachycardia. So, for example, a surgical patient who develops tachycardia may be hemorrhaging because obviously they're not, you know, up and expending, expending a lot of um, energy. So something's going on inside. Check for bleeding. Apply direct pressure to an area of hemorrhage because we want to stop that. We don't want that to be um, heading out. Um, and then with inter- internal hemorrhaging, there may not be visible bleeding. So vital signs may be the only sign. Um, Take action. So this means you need to be monitor, monitor, monitor your patients, even if you think nothing's wrong. um, There's most likely something going on on the inside. So when cells are deprived of oxygen, their energy produced is affected. Um, it It moves from the efficient aerobic metabolism to less efficient anaerobic metabolism. Um, The energy needs of the cell can only be met by anaerobic metabolism for a brief amount of time. If the oxygen deficiency is prolonged, if they don't have oxygen for a really long time, the body's metabolic rate and temperature are going to fall. Um, Anaerobic metabolism produces lactate. Lactic acid um, is a product of lactate buildup. It accumulates. The lactic acid is not cleared from the bloodstream. It causes acidosis, um, which is an acid-base imbalance. Acidosis is a ph below 7.35 and it's one of the classic signs of shock um so now we're going to go down to effect on organs and organ systems why does prolonged shock cause extensive damage to organs this is in uh, table 9.2 so this is going to show you um why it affects your lungs, renal system, heart, liver, immune system, GI system, and your central nervous system. It does so because inadequate blood flow results in tissue ischemia um, of dying down of tissue because you don't have enough blood flow and it cannot survive um, and injury throughout the body. So early in shock, blood is shunted away from the kidneys to save fluid because it doesn't want to be sent out. This helps preserve blood pressure and to provide oxygen to the vital organs. When you, when you think vital organs, you're thinking like heart, brain, you know, things like that. The kidneys can tolerate reduced blood flow for about an hour. Um, then kidney cells begin to die from a lack of oxygen and nutrients. So acute kidney injury can result. Um, When the myocardium, which is the middle and muscle layer of the heart wall, receives inadequate oxygenation, pumping action, and cardiac output decreases um, and shock worsens. So when that middle part of your heart, that layer is not receiving enough oxygen, not enough red blood cells, it's going to start weakening and it's going to start letting you down. Um, So acidosis, toxins released in the bloodstream from um, ischemic tissues or ischemia-induced arrhythmias, abnormal heart rhythm. Further reduce the pumping ability of the heart. If the brain is deprived of blood flow for more than four minutes, brain cells die from a lack of oxygen and glucose. Brain death can result from prolonged shock. This is telling you that if your uh, brain does not have oxygen for more than four minutes, those cells are going to start to die because it's not getting enough oxygen and glucose and you're going to have brain death uh, from prolonged shock. So organs of the GI system can be injured early in shock, um, inadequate Circulation to the intestine injuries uh, injures the mucosa. Uh, Paralytic ileus or intestinal paralysis can occur. So if uh, GI bacteria or endotoxins move from the bowel into the circulation, toxemia can result. Um, The liver can be injured by ischemia. If liver function is affected by this injury, elevated serum levels of ammonia, bilirubin, and liver enzymes and decreased production of plasma proteins can occur. Um, So what is one thing that we know if we see... Um, like ammonia, bilirubin, stuff like that, um, like a buildup of that. If you see a buildup of that in your body, you're usually going to see, um, jaundice. So because it's not being, um, sent out correctly. Um, so the immune system is weakened by shock, leaving the body vulnerable to infection. If the liver has been damaged, it cannot assist the immune system in providing defense. Um, so this is, you know, where we're going over into your complications of shock. Um, so acute respiratory distress syndrome, um, disseminated intravascular coagulation, which we learned about in another chapter, and multiple organ dysfunction syndrome are three critical conditions that can follow prolonged shock. So if you have shock for a really long time, you can see ARDS, um, DIC, or MODS. Um, MODS is a major cause of death following shock. When an organ has an inadequate perfusion, it fails. And This contributes to the failure of other organisms. So uh, multiple organ dysfunction syndrome. Um, There's a learning tip here to understand what disseminated intravascular coagulation means, um, define each of the words. So disseminated is scattered or widespread. Intravascular is inside the vessel um, and coagulation means clotting. So a widespread um, vessel that's clotted. Put together, these definitions tell you that DIC is scattered widespread clotting inside the vessel. Hemorrhage does not seem likely when there is a clotting problem. Uh, but when many clots form throughout the body in response to stressors, few clotting factors remain available to form clots that are needed to prevent hemorrhage. Um, as a result, hemorrhage um, is a risk in DIC. So your classifications of shock, um, there's four types. You have hypovolemic, cardiogenic, obstructive, and distributive. So hypovolemic shock is caused by a decrease in circulating volume. Uh, we know like low and then vol- volemic. I'm thinking volume, low volume. It's hypovolemic. Um, cardiogenic shock is caused by cardiac pump failure. Obstructive shock is caused by a blockage of blood flow to the cardiovascular circuit outside of the heart. Um, something's being obstructed. Distributive shock is caused by excessive dilation of the venules and arterioles. Um, so dilation means they're opening up, um, and this is going to be dilation, distributive D and D. The classic signs of all forms of shock is a decrease in blood pressure below the level needed to provide sufficient blood flow to the tissues for adequate oxygenation. So we're going to start out with hypovolemic shock. And it's going to walk us through each of these types. So hypovolemic shock can be caused by dehydration, internal or external hemorrhage, fluid loss from burns, vomiting or diarrhea, which we learned about before, or a loss of intravascular fluid to the interstitial space from sepsis or trauma. So physical, physical injury. Um, caused by an external force would be trauma heat exhaustion or heat stroke can also cause hypovolemic shock um, from excess water loss through sweating so basically this is um you're losing a lot of fluids if you're dehydrated you don't have a lot of fluids if there's um internal or external hemorrhage you're losing fluids fluid loss from burns vomiting diarrhea trauma um heat exhaustion or heat stroke you're way 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 um in excessive water loss So signs and symptoms are going to include restlessness. Um, They're going to have pale, clammy, cool skin, tachycardia. Why? Because our heart's trying to make up for this. Tachypnea. our heart's trying or we're we're breathing trying to make up for this. Um, Flat, non-distended peripheral veins. When you think peripheral veins, think um, you pull your sleeve up and you see your arm. Non-distended, well, we know distended means they're they're kind of poking out a little bit. So non-distended means um, we're not going to be able to see our veins, really, because there's not a lot of volume in them. Um, So, decreased jugular vein circumference, um, decreased urine output, and altered mental status. These were all a lot of signs of um, dehydration. The body is usually able to compensate for blood loss of less than 15% or 750 milliliters. Tachycardia may be the only symptom. At 20 to 25%, blood loss, tachycardia, and mild to moderate hypotension are present. So, with a loss of 40% or greater... 2000 milliliters, all signs and symptoms of shock are present. Volume loss alone might not be the only contributing factor to hypovolemic shock and the patient's age, health status, and time frame for fluid loss can also be factors. Um, So please read over table 9.2. This is telling you um, the organ or organ systems and what's being affected um, during uh, shock. So there's a nursing care tip down here on page 110. The Trendelenburg position, um, which is supine with the feet raised higher than the head, was normally uh, was formally used to try and increase cardiac output in the hypovolemic shock. However, research shows it's not helpful improving cardiac output for patients in shock and have uh, profound negative effects. So you might still see this position being used, but remember that evidence-based practice produces the best patient outcomes. So you know if our patient has a low blood pressure, you can put their head back and lift their feet higher, and it's going to send that blood back up, but this doesn't necessarily help with patients in shock. So cardiogenic shock, um, and we're still on page 110, it's a shock that occurs when the heart fails as a pump and decreases cardiac output, and so it requires immediate treatment to prevent death. Signs and symptoms are like those of hypovolemic shock. uh, Pulmonary edema may occur. This differentiates cardiogenic shock from other forms of shock. The main cause of cardiogenic shock is acute myocardial infarction, um, which we know is a heart attack. So other causes are traumatic injury to the heart, myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart muscle, um, cardiomyopathy, heart valve defects, endocarditis, or arrhythmias. Um, then we have obstructive shock. So obstructive shock occurs when there, um, when there's a blockage of blood flow outside of the heart. So cardiogenic um, has to deal with the heart pumping, obstructive would be a blockage of blood flow outside of it. So pericardial uh, tamponade occurs when the pericardial sac fills with blood or fluid. Uh, This compresses the heart and limits its filling capacity. So tension, uh, pneumothorax compresses the heart because of the abnormal collection of air in the pleural space. Acute pulmonary hypertension is a sudden abnormally elevated pressure in the pulmonary artery. Um, It increases resistance for blood flow. Out of the right side of the heart. So all of these conditions decrease cardiac output, and this can lead to shock. A pulmonary embolism or tumor blocking blood flow can also lead to shock. Signs and symptoms of obstructive shock are similar to those with hypovolemic shock, except that jugular veins are usually distended. Um, And distended we know means um, out. So there's the distributive shock also. Um, Distributive shock occurs when peripheral vascular resistance is lost because of massive vasodilation. Um, Your veins are opening. So in hypovolemic shock, there's an actual loss of blood volume, but in distributive shock, there's no loss of fluid volume. Rather, the body's fluid is altered within the body um, in its distribution. So there's three forms of distributive shock, and that's anaphylactic, septic, and neurogenic. Um, so we see that anaphylactic shock is one of the most Severe types of distributive shock and it occurs when the body has an extreme hypersensitivity reaction to an antigen. Um, and remember, when we talked about antigens and antibodies, we know that antigen is antigen. We don't want her at her house. Uh, we don't like her when she comes to see us, so we have antibodies to get rid of them. Um, death from anaphylactic shock can occur in minutes but is rare. Medical treatment must be sought immediately. Asthma or a delay in epinephrine injection can increase the risk of death. For safety, patients are taught allergen avoidance techniques. And this is in box 9-1 on page 111. So anaphylaxis occurs commonly from food allergies, shellfish or peanuts, insect stings, antibiotics like penicillin, anesthetics, contrast dye, blood blood products. Um, Symptoms specific to allergic reactions include urticaria, which is hives. Pyritis, wheezing, laryngeal edema, or swelling of the larynx, angioedema, which is um, edema of the skin, mucous membranes, or internal organs, and severe bronchospasm, which is a narrowing of the bronchi and the lungs. And we know that um, the bronchi and the lungs, if those, you know, are not working properly, we're not getting air properly. Um, signs and symptoms similar to those of hypovolemic shock may be also be seen if conscious patients can be extremely apprehensive and short of breath. Um, so there's also this table 9.3, uh, the categories of shock um, on page 111. And this is basically shortening up all of the paragraphs that I'm reading. But um, I think it would still benefit to go ahead and go through them. So if you want to just have like a shorter version of this, look on page 111. Um, so sepsis is defined as life threatening organ dysfunction caused by dysregulated host response to infection. Septic shock is defined as a subset of sepsis with circulatory and cellular metabolic dysfunction associated with a higher risk of mortality um, is a higher risk of death with septic shock. There's extreme hyper uh perfusion. Early diagnosis and rapid treatment of sepsis are vital to increasing survival rates. So, sepsis um, cases have risen 5.7% per year from 2008 to 2012. However, mortality has decreased from 22.2% to 17.3%. The goal of Surviving Sepsis um, campaign is to reduce the sepsis mortality rate. um, And this is a website that you can go to. Um, Factors that increase sepsis risk include being over age 65, having a chronic illness, having a weakened immune system, having severe burns, or being critically ill. Um, infections of the GI tract, the lung, skin, and urinary tract are more commonly associated with septus, And bacteria that most commonly cause septus are E. coli, staph, and streptococcus, um, which I'm sure that we have heard numerous times. So you also have gerontological issues for sepsis in the older adult population has a less ability to fight infections, which places them at a higher risk for septis um so there's a study in california hospitalizations from 2000 to 2010 and the sepsis rate for those aged 85 and older was about 30 times the rate for those under age 65. Um next we have neurogenic shock um, this occurs due to a nervous system injury or dysfunction that causes extensive dilation of peripheral blood vessels um, cause Causes include spinal cord injury, general anesthesia, fever, metabolic disturbances, and brain contusions and concussion, concussions. Signs include hypotension and altered mental status. And during the early phases, bradycardia, which is a slow heart rate um, and warm, dry skin. So as shock progresses, um, tachycardia and cool, clammy skin develops. Um, so next, we're going to the therapeutic measures for shock uh, because of life-threatening the nature of shock, immediate medication or medical treatment is needed. The nature of shock must be determined. So we need to know what we're treating. Um, And then interventions, including ventilatory and circulatory support are started. So life-threatening symptoms must be treated immediately. And this is where we go into our ABCs, but this is a little bit more in depth. Um, So shock's identified, then current substance care uh, care guidelines are followed. Uh, Medications that are used in shock are listed in a table. and this is pay, uh, table 9.5 9. on page 113 and then also uh, table 9.6. So the order of interventions and testing is guided by the stability of the patient. Interventions would include airway management, breathing and respiratory support, and cardiovascular, so ABCs, uh, maintaining circulatory volume, controlling a bleeding if it's present, assess the neurologic status, treatment of life-threatening injuries, Um, determination and treatment of the cause of shock. So we also see down here in table 9.4, the assessment of the patient in shock, their signs and symptoms, tachycardia, tachypnea, hypotension, oliguria, cyanosis, altered mental status, and the lab tests that you're going to deal with with these. So we have our our two uh, ABGs, uh, blood chemistries, blood typing and cross match, cardiac isoenzymes, complete blood count, uh, partial thromboiditis, Boplastin time, prothrombin time, serum lactate, serum osmolarity, urinalysis. Then um, you may see a chest x ray, um, computed tomography, echocardiogram, spinal x ray, electrocardiogram, arterial pressure, and hemodynamic uh, monitoring for the monitorings. Um, so I'm not going to go over table 9.5. This has to do with um, your airway management, cardiovascular support, adequate circulatory volume. Uh, This was also in our uh, FA Davis quizzes that you can go and make for yourself, which we will have a quiz on this week for my class. Um, But I would definitely go through and look at these because it will help you when you take that quiz. I've already gone through and practiced um, with that one and it was beneficial. So um, you're going to look at medications used for shock. Again, this is 9.6 on page 113. And it uh, bounces over into 114. So now we're going to look at the nursing process for the patient in shock. And here we see our ABCs again. So um, recognizing and reporting patients at risk for shock is vital for increased patient survival. So being vigilant, and screening patients for sepsis is important. Early detection and prevention of shock um, in patients at risk for shock are the desired goals. So rapid response in patients at risk for shock are uh, are desired. Your rapid response teams can be helpful in providing quick assessment and care of patients at risk of developing shock. So for the patient in shock, um, you must assess them, and it should be followed out starting with your A, B, C, D. So airway, breathing, circulation, and disability. So most of the time we just hear A, B, C, but here we have D added as well. So airway is shaped for pa- uh, patency and opened as necessary. A uh, compromised area must be treated immediately with a head tilt, chin lift method, or oral and nasal airway, or endotracheal intubation. Breathing is checked for rate, depth, and symmetry of chest movement. The patient is observed for use of accessory muscles. Lung sounds are auscultated. Wheezing can be present in the patient with anaphylactic shock. Crackles can be found in the patient with cardiogenic shock or the patient who has received too much intravenous fluid. So circulation is checked with blood pressure measurement. A narrowing pulse pressure can be present before a drop in systolic pressure. This indicates a decrease in cardiac stroke volume and peripheral vasoconstriction. Um, Peripheral pulses are palpated. And tachycardia is the first sign of shock, so a fast, um, fast heartbeat. However, patients on medications that block the sympathetic nervous system response will um, will not exhibit tachycardia. The pulse is assessed for quality. Commonly, it is weak and thready in a pulse which, uh, patient with shock. As shock progresses... The peripheral pulses become weaker or absent. Uh, Capillary refill greater than three three seconds indicates inadequate circulation. However, it has been found to be unreliable indicator of shock in adults, especially older adults, because they already don't have, um, you know, good enough circulation most of the time. So other observations for circulation include distended neck veins, meaning neck veins are kind of bulging, skin that's cool, pale, and diaphoretic presence of cyanosis, which we know is blue, uh, color of the skin and mucous membranes from decreased oxygen in the blood, mucous membranes that are pale and dry and thirst. Um, Rapidly scan the entire body for uh, evidence of bleeding and other injuries. So here we have a nursing care tip. They're usually a loss of peripheral pulses in the patient whose systolic blood pressure has dropped below 80. If you're able to palpate a radial pulse on your patient, the systolic blood pressure is usually at least 80. Then we see uh, for disability is determined by the patient's level of consciousness. So a decrease in level of consciousness indicates disability. This disability can range from lethargy to coma. So when you think disability, you know, we're thinking of somebody that might be paraplegic or something like that. This is not necessarily that. This is meaning their level of consciousness. Um, So if the patient is lethargic or in a coma, you're going to want to assess that and figure out, you know, what's going on there. So all four limbs are checked for circulation, sensation and mobility. Remember CSM. Circulation, sensation, and mobility. Bilateral responses are compared for equality. Um, so we want to make sure that the same is on the right and left for everything. Circulation is assessed by palpating pulses for presence and quality. Sensation is determined by touching the patient's hands and feet and asking what the patient feels and if there's any numbness or tingling. Um, for mobility or motor ability, is assessed by having the patient move all four limbs and wiggle the fingers and toes. Have the patient push. Um, With his or her feet against your hands and squeeze two of your fingers to determine strength. A head-to-toe approach can follow the primary ABCD assessment. The presence, severity and location of pain or nausea and vomiting are noted. So body temperature is measured. Bowel sounds are auscultated to determine whether they are normal, absent, hyperactive, or hypoactive. With an indwelling urinary catheter, the color rate and amount of urine output are noted. Um, and there's a nursing care tip here as well to determine whether a patient is alert and oriented, ask his or her name, current place, and the date. If the patient correctly answers all three questions here, she is alert and oriented times three, meaning person, place, and time as the three. Um, there's a shock summary on page um, 115, table 9.7. And then there's also nursing diagnoses, planning, implementation, and evaluation um, for patients experiencing shock. So I'm going to run through this real quick. This is going to give you an intervention, your rationale, and then the evaluation. So you're going to maintain their airway and provide oxygen as ordered. You're going to monitor their vital signs. You're going to monitor intake and output, provide adequate fluid intake, maintain their body temperature with warmed IVs, fluids, room temperature, and blankets, provide a quiet, um, restful environment, and monitor for pain and provide pain relief measures. So for your – excuse me. For your geriatric patients, um, you're going to change positions slowly. You're going to monitor their heart rate and cardiac rhythm with an electrocardiogram and report abnormalities. uh, Monitor their skin, nail bed color, capillary refill, and peripheral pulses and report abnormalities. Give cardiovascular medications and oxygen as ordered. Monitor skin for pressure injuries and implement uh, prevention interventions when when vasopressors are used. Um, provide comfort measures to alleviate pain and anxiety and maintain a normal body temperature. Um, continuing on, you're going to monitor perfusion by methods other than capillary refill, such as skin temperature. Identif- identify their ability to learn and barriers to learning. So, by barriers, this meaning um, were they willing to learn? Is there a gap in communication as far as language? Um, You're going to provide patient-centered information in shock and treatment and allow time for questions and clarification. So you don't want to just come in and tell them what to do and not um, address what their concerns are. So you're going to involve family and caregivers in teaching, speak slowly and clearly in a low tone or pitch, provide materials in large print. Um, and then it's also going to give you your rationales and your evaluation, like what is your end goal. So I will go back and read those. So this is um essentially the end of the chapter. I would definitely go through and look at these um the review questions at the very, very back. And then there's also key points on the Davis Edge website, which are helpful. I found it's just kind of a summary sheet and it's like one page long that you could probably print. But um, that concludes this chapter.